Welcome back to episode five of the Max Out Show, where I'm on a mission to help you unleash your full potential. Today's guest is Mark Allen, an internationally renowned author and speaker on what it takes to create your dream life. Mark is the co-founder and president of New World Library and has spent the last four decades of his life publishing some of the greatest authors on earth, including Mother Teresa, Deepak Chopra, Joseph Campbell, and Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. So of course, we go really deep in this episode on the lessons that Mark has learned from Eckhart Tolle on living in a present moment. We dive deep into how he went from total failure at 30 years of age to then founding New World Library and becoming a multimillionaire. And last but not least, we go deep into succeeding with ease, succeeding on your own terms in a way that actually makes you fall in love with life. So hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's dive right in. We, we had probably the, the greatest uh, pre-interview chat I've ever had before an interview. <laughs> just just so, many, so many great stories. And so I'm super excited to, to talk into many of those stories with you know, what you've learned from all these incredible authors and through you know, over 40 years in the your personal development book publishing industry. Uh, but also some of your, your own personal stories. Um, I think it's so fascinating that your life can basically be divided in these two acts, right? Before your 30th birthday and then after your 30th birthday. <laughs> That's true. That's so, true. So, <laughs> so would you mind taking us back for a moment into your 20s uh, before your 30th birthday? What was your life like back then? And what was that sort of the turning point on your 30th birthday that really created this monumental shift in the way that you approach life? It, it, it was the turning point, the day of my 30th birthday. When I look back on it, I was a slightly different person at the end of the day than I was at the beginning of the day. All through my 20s, I tried about 10 different careers. Uh, I, I, I had one thing from childhood that has really served me well, and that is I knew it was important to do what I loved. Yeah. And so I did what I loved. I ignored my father who wanted me to go into business, like my mm -hmm. older brother. You know, my father's, uh, uh, he, he worked for 35 years for the same corporation, and that was security. You, mm -hmm. That's what you did. You got a job, any kind of job. You don't have to like it. In fact, you probably won't because it's a job. <laughs> yeah. uh, You're just supposed uh, to be miserable and make the money, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. So. My oldest brother dutifully went to college and got a corporate job and, you know, was the perfect kid. And <laughs> then my uh, another brother and then I came along. So there were three boys and we were the two rebels. We both completely ignored our father. Wow. <laughs> and and I'm so glad I did because I, I did what I loved. But all through my 20s, I had no idea how to make money doing what I loved. I was, it was just a total struggle. I was a complete poverty case, scrounging for the rent all the time. And, uh, I, I was an actor for a while, but the theater companies, I was in two companies, they both fell apart. Then I tried, I tried a back to the land experiment. It was the you know, late 60s, early 70s, it seemed like a good thing to do. That was a disaster, wow. a disaster. And then I, I had a rock band for a while and we played great music, but we had like no management. I had no, I didn't even have interest in money. I even, I saw this movie about St. Francis seven times that was called Brother, Son, Sister Moon. And it's all about how St. Francis gave away all his father's <laughs> wealth and walked, wow. gave him the clothes off his back and walked naked out of town. <laughs> and that was your inspiration back then? My inspiration, it was like, Oh, money. I, I want nothing to do with money. And I tried to live that way. And I, I went to all these spiritual things. I was at a Zen center, which was really good for my health, actually, looking back. I was at a Tibetan center, which I, for three and a half years, and I, I never really understood what it was about. I couldn't grasp it. Though Zen was very good for me. But still, I, I left in I had no money. I tried all these odd jobs. I got fired as a busboy and dishwasher for being wow. too I got fired as a typesetter. I knew typesetting. I got fired as a typesetter for not showing up on time because <laughs> I was at the beach. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> enjoying life, that's for sure. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And then in the late 20s, I got a band together again for a while, but that fell apart. And uh, then... I turned 30 and I was living in a little slum apartment in a funky place in Oakland, California. 
a place like with bars on the windows and where you would not want to raise a kid. And, and I realized I, I had no direction the last three, four years of my life, I, of my 20s. I mean, I just kind of wandered around scrounging for rent. And I didn't even have, I was like a ship wandering around with no destination when I look back at it. And I felt like a teenager in my 20s still. The day I turned 30, I woke up in a state of shock and this voice said, you're 30. <laughs> you're not a kid anymore. What are you going to do? And one friend said, are you going to have a party or something? And I said, yeah. no. <laughs> nothing, gotta, to, nothing to celebrate here. <laughs> I got to be alone. And I knew I had to be alone. And that day changed my life. I paced up and down. I was 30. And I remembered a game we played in my Back to the Land experiment. I was about 22 then. And we were sitting around a fire outside. And this one couple said, let's play a game we used to play at church camp. Let's imagine five years have passed and everything has gone as well as you can imagine it. What would your life look like? And we all went around the fire. I don't remember a word of what I said at 22. And I really tried to remember what I said. I, I went back and relaxed and I tried to remember. I couldn't remember a word. So it had no impact whatsoever in my life. Yeah. But the day I turned 30, I said, this is a good idea, but this time I'll write it down. Wow. And I took a sheet of paper. I put ideal scene at the top. I imagined I was 35. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's middle age. <laughs> I remember the time thinking, oh my God, in five years, I'll be 35. Yeah. <laughs> what do I want my life to look like? I had no job. I had no family support. I had no money at all. I don't even think I had a bank account. I don't, well. <laughs> if I did, there was nothing in it. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay, 35, what do I, want? much to my amazement, what spilled out is I have a publishing company. Wow. I have a successful publishing company that just cruises along publishing my books. I'd never written a book and my music I would played. I'd never recorded anything and it just cruises along. And, and I have a big, beautiful house in Marin County that was right across the bay from Oakland, California. Marin is the beautiful, open, green, wonderful county. Oh, wow. Oakland's the urban, nasty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so so, so what, what does goals some things that like you, you had seen before in your mind? Or was that the first time that you allowed yourself, now I'm going to dream big? It was... It was the first time I really hadn't dreamed big. I, I certainly hadn't ever thought of starting a business or, or getting into real estate in mm -hmm. Oakland or publishing books or even recording music. I hadn't ever even thought about those things, but it just spilled out. Then of course, what happens? Doubts and fears just rushed in overwhelming. And I remember vividly what they said. I remember my doubts and fears immediately saying, Mark, it's way too much. You mm -hmm. want to, start a company you don't know anything about business or i i didn't i'd never taken a course in it or read a book about it or anything you don't know anything about business you want to start a company and write books and record music and get into real estate that's way too much mark just pick one thing and focus on that and i knew whatever i picked my doubts and fears would just shoot down and so i thought about it i literally paced up and down and i said no wait the point is my ideal scene this is my ideal. I want it all. I want to go for all that. In fact, and this is my unique contribution so far to humanity, I think. <laughs> I said, not only do I want this success as a publisher, as a business person, I also want a life of ease. I don't want to work too hard. I do not want to buy into my dad's. My dad literally said when I told him I'd start a business, he, his first words were, were well, you know, when I called him on my birthday, I said, Dad, I'm thinking of starting a business. He said, well, you know, 80% of businesses fail their first two years. And he said, <laughs> great, and great motivation. <laughs> and to start a business, you got to work 60 hours a week. You know, and he knew how lazy I was. I never did yeah. more than 30. So I just, I said to my doubts and fears, I am going to go for my dream. And I, my experiment, I'm going to experiment. I latched onto that word. 
my experiment is to do it in my own lazy way. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to work when I feel like it. And I knew that meant musicians hours. I love musicians hours. You never did a thing until one in the afternoon. Never. Wow. So that was like, I'm going to start a company and, but work my own hour, only work when I feel like it. My doubts and fears were vehement saying impossible, never been done. You got to work 60 hours a week. And, and I said, look, give me a year or two to experiment just to try it as an experiment. Most of my thoughts probably thought it wouldn't work, but it was a worthwhile experiment and it appealed to my lazy side. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is my experiment. They said it won't work. And I finally, I said to my doubts and fears, literally, I'm arguing with myself, you know, I said, well, if it doesn't work, I'll be no worse off than I am now. Yeah. I had no job, no income whatsoever. It couldn't get any worse, yeah. couldn't get any worse. So my, even my doubts and fears said, well, yeah, okay, yeah. I, yeah, they had to go along with that. So they gave me a year or two to experiment. And I started a company and I did it in my own lazy way. I worked when I felt like it. I mean, at first, I didn't know anything about financing or anything. And um, so it, my only plan I could think of was to get a job, any job, and try to save 20% to put in my company. So at first, for like a year or something, I got a perfectly horrible job. I finally got fired for that one. Well, <laughs> not sure. Because you had the beach or... <laughs> Yeah, I was actually, <laughs> I was at Santa Cruz. I, uh, my job at first, I got a job that started at 8.30 in the morning and that was horrible. And, and uh, so I kept looking around and then I found my perfect job, typesetting, and it started at four in the afternoon. So that was oh, wow. great. <laughs> four to midnight, That those are good hours. For but me. that's more your time, yeah. Yeah, but that was the day that we went to the beach at Santa Cruz here, and it was. And I knew there was very little work to do that night. Uh, we typeset a daily paper for UC Berkeley. It was great fun, but there wasn't any school the next day, so there was no paper to do. So there was hardly any work. So I called my boss. I said, "I'm at Santa Cruz. I don't really want to come back. <laughs> I, I'm on the beach. I, I want to skip tonight." And he said, I can't have my employees calling me, telling me at the last minute they're not showing up. You're fired. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you're even trying to be honest, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's just, I mean, there's just, there's just so much good stuff that I want to dive deeper in here, um, especially this principle of success with ease. Because I have to admit, like, even my natural instinct is like, no way. But obviously, your results uh, with your publishing company have just been absolutely astonishing and incredible so i want to dive deeper much much deeper into that later on but first you touched on a lot of important things which is goal setting right creating sort of your ideal scene for life and then yep. the fears that come with that so can you maybe first dive a little bit more into goal setting what does that process look like and why is it so important for people to first you know have that goal have the direction those dreams in their lives yes 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 the older i get the simpler i see it I think now there's only just two essential things, two essential things to create success with ease. One is you got to have a clear goal. Duh. You got to dare <laughs> to dream. You got to make it very clear exactly what you want. I want a successful company. I want keep it in mind. You, you, you always, as Stephen Covey said in uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, we, I never read the book, but I, I looked at the contents in the, in, in the first or second chapter is start with the end in mind. Duh. Yes. Start with the end in mind and keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. Don't let those doubts and fears undermine it in any way. Because then that's the essential thing. The second essential thing is that doubts and fears will arise inevitably if we dare to dream if we, if we dare to dream our ideal scene in five years, what kind of ideal life do you want? And that word ideally is, ideal is certainly expansive. You know, what, what expansive dream would you have? And whatever it is, doubts and fears will come up. And so then we just have to deal with them. And there's all kinds of ways to deal with our doubts and fears. We've been doing it all our life, dealing with doubts and fears. 
So we might as well dare to dream something really challenging and expansive and have some big doubts and fears to deal with these little piddly things. <laughs> no, I, I love that, right? And what we're really saying is here is that doubts and fears and insecurities are just a natural part of chasing something big in our lives, right? Because if you always go for the comfortable thing, there's not going to be any fears, right? And maybe this is the perfect time now for your coffee shop story because I think this oh, relates yeah. perfectly. <laughs> Right, right, right. Do that. <laughs> yeah, we were saying before we started recording that a while ago I was at a little coffee shop and the girl serving coffee and I got talking and it was really slow. There was hardly anybody else in there. And so I just, she told me she just graduated from high school. And I said, Great, what are you going to do? And she said, Oh, I'm going to go into hairdressing. My mom says there's security there. And I just looked at her and I, I had this, I thought, if she would have said, I want to go into hairdressing, I love hairdressing, I would have said, oh, great, good for you, go for it. But just the way she said it with no energy, it was like she was just mouthing her mom's words, there's security there. So I said to her, well, what do you really want to do? If you could do anything, what would it be? And she just lit up and she said, oh, well, I've been singing with a rock band. I would love to make that work somehow. And I say, go for it, girl, go for it. You'll never regret it. You'll never ever, whatever happens, if you go for your dreams, you'll never regret going for your dreams. Go for it. I had my rock band in my 20s. <laughs> I went for it in my own lazy way with no management. I realized after, uh, you gotta have like management. To Any band that's successful has like, a manager doing things, you know, yeah. to help them be successful. Now, looking back, I'm very glad for every failure I had because if my band would have worked, you know, I still would have just been playing. I would have been an old rock and roller. Uh, if my acting career would have worked, I would still be acting and spouting other people's lines. <laughs> now and you I, can you know, create every, your own. Every moment is perfect to lead up to this moment now. I absolutely love that. And, and what this, this, this coffee shop store really reminds me of is, is this question of what do you want to optimize your life for? Right? Because many people, they optimize for these external things, right? Security, financial, you know, success, or when I finally achieve that goal, then I'll be happy, right? But that's not how life works, right? Because as, as you mentioned before, like it almost doesn't matter if you achieve that goal, if it's that big dream, that thing that actually puts you on fire, right? If you're chasing that, at the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter if you succeed or fail because you're going to have a great time. And I think at the end of the day, just the ability to love every single day of your life is so much more valuable than chasing something that maybe in 10 years from now, when you finally succeeded, then you'll be happy about it. What do you think yeah. about that? Oh, yeah, exactly. You got it exactly right. I've, I've often said the same thing. You go for your dreams. Every day is, is fun. And if you are just motivated by money, that's the worst, the worst place to start with. I need money. I need to get a job. Oh, I want to make a certain level of money and then I'll be happy. You'll find it just ain't true. Yeah. <laughs> you can make all the, the worst, most miserable family I ever met in my life were billionaires. Wow. <laughs> huge corporation whose name you would know because it's world they're world famous billionaires and i just in my music days i met the a kid from there who was 19 and wanted to play with our band and and we played music with him and then his mother was pressuring him to stay in college and so i met his mother and sort of negotiated with her no way <laughs> give him a year to go for his music but that the family with all that money was so sad to me. Not only sad, it was a pain in my stomach to deal with these people. And I, I walked away from there saying, thank God my parents didn't have money. Thank God. Because if you make that much money, it destroys family. It destroys love between people. It all becomes money. If your whole goal is nothing but making money, that money will destroy you. It does not bring you happiness at all. I guarantee that. I've made enough money to really know that now. 
Yes, that's so fascinating, especially coming from you, right? Where you started out really with this, as you mentioned before, this super spiritual kind of mindset, right? Where like, you didn't care about money. And then still as a result, maybe, or a byproduct of that, you ended up making a bunch of money. So how do you, yeah. how do you sort of find the balance between you're not caring too much about money, but still, you know, at some point, maybe even setting the goal, I want to be a millionaire. I want to make a lot of money. How do you yeah. find the balance between the two? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, it definitely is keeping a perspective on money and realizing that money in itself is not important at all. It is completely empty. It's nice to have some. Yes, it's great to have that kind of security, but it does not make you happy. I, I love uh, Eckhart Tolle so much. He was asked by a reporter, what's it like to make so much money now? <laughs> and he just chuckled and he said, well, for years I had no money and that was okay. And now I've got money and that's okay too. <laughs> that's good. And, and knowing Eckhart, I know it really doesn't matter to him. He could lose it all tomorrow and he could be back to where he was when I met him, which was having no money. He had a little apartment and this old car, someone had given him a car. It was like an old Dodge Dart or something. Wow, yeah. <laughs> old relic he, he was so proud of his car because he had a car <laughs> no but I, I love that right and and i heard this story about warren buffett right multi-billionaire right and said he's still living the, in the exact same apartment as he was like 50 years ago whatever right still driving the same car and that to yeah. me is so incredible right because he has all the money in the world he could probably buy whole new york city whatever it is <laughs> but he still yeah. chooses to live the exact same way as he was when he was poor and young because it doesn't matter. Yep, it really doesn't. He drives an old truck. He likes his old truck. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> now, we, we touched on, upon a, a few really important things before, and, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into the, the fear aspect, insecurity, stouts that will come up when you dare to dream that big, right? So you mentioned before, there are several techniques that people can use to overcome their fears. Um, even if, you know, if they practice it throughout their life, but how can they do it more effectively? What are maybe one or two, you know, sort of key techniques that you've even used in your life to overcome those fears and overcome those doubts when your, your brain was basically telling you, no way you're going to build that company. No way you're going to change your life. That's, that's a good question. When I was 28, I did this amazing weekend workshop with a guy named Ken Kais Jr. In fact, I just found his his old book floating on this was done in the seventies. It was oh, wow. <laughs> a higher consciousness. And he did these weekend seminars that blew our minds. And the, I think the most powerful thing in there was we spent most of the Sunday. It was a Saturday and Sunday, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, most of Sunday afternoon <clears throat> with learning what he called the core belief process, which now I like to call the underlying belief process because core beliefs to me sound too solid almost. Our core beliefs, it's, it sort of implies something that can't change to me, where underlying beliefs are what our beliefs actually are, and they, they can <clears throat> and do change over time. We divided into groups of four, and each of us went through this process, and I can, I can take us right through it real quick because it it's basically eight questions. We asked eight questions. We did it with each person. took about 45 minutes to really go through it with each one. So we spent three hours that Sunday afternoon, each of us doing this process, getting into our, our deepest fears. And we were different people at the end of that afternoon. I remember feeling literally lighter once I did it. I remember taking a walk outside and feeling like I didn't even know I'd been carrying around this weight, almost like a bag of garbage on my shoulders, the feeling I had like a big plastic bag of garbage <laughs> I was carrying. And that garbage was fear, anxiety, everything that comes from fear. Course in Miracles is exactly right. They nail it. There's two basic emotions, fear and love. And all that anxiety, all our, our, our lack of satisfaction comes from fear. And so if we can look at those fears and really deal with our fears, we can get into love. We can 
love our lives more. And once you're in a state of love and appreciation and gratitude, everything changes and every moment is precious. So this is what this core belief process did. And I can whip us through it because it's just eight questions. Yes, I'd love that. Yeah. I'll even use an example of, uh, I don't even remember what I did it around the first time. Uh, but the, the time that really changed my life was after I started my company, knowing nothing about business or money or anything. After about three years, I was nearly bankrupt. Wow. I was 65000 in credit card debt because I'd use credit cards. And this was the early 80s. So I thought in today's dollars. That's a lot of money. <laughs> close to a couple hundred thousand or so. Yeah. I couldn't even pay the minimum payments on it, on my credit card debt. So I kept just getting new cards. They kept sending me <laughs> You just kept taking it all. And yeah, and I'd run to the bank, get a cash advance, pay off all the other cards. I had a stack of bills. <laughs> and I remember I was on my way to the bank, I had a new credit card. And I realized I was panicking almost. I, 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 I kept telling myself, someday the bottom will drop out, which is a horrible thing to program your subconscious mind. I was programming myself into bankruptcy when I look back on it. We had a distributor, we, we were selling books, we had creative visualization out, but our distributor collapsed and didn't pay us for six months of wow. sale. So the, the whole company was almost bankrupt. I was almost bankrupt. I was on my way to the bank feeling all this anxiety. And then I thought, oh, this is the time to do the core belief process, the underlying belief process. This is the best time. The best time to do it is when you're upset, when you feel anxiety when you're overwhelmed you can do it at any time about any kind of problem whatsoever but it's best when you're really upset because you can see the effects of it and it's just answering eight questions the first question is just what's the problem bam we always know that right away oh the problem is i'm nearly bankrupt <laughs> that's the yeah. problem okay second question is simply what do you feel physically how are you feeling physically you just tune into your body. Oh, I, oh, my shoulders are uptight. Oh, my stomach's churning with anxiety. I think I would have been heading for an ulcer if I would have continued. I probably would have had an ulcer because every time I thought about money, my stomach went, oh. You know? <laughs> I think I was headed towards some very poor health if I would have continued that. So that you just, okay, what's the problem? What are you feeling physically? Then. What emotions are you feeling? And you just name the emotions. And notice women are better at that. Women are better at naming. Men kind of wander around. Well, I feel bad. <laughs> Great. Just, just name the emotion. Okay, I'm feeling this anxiety. I'm feeling frustration. I'm feeling some anger even and fear. And you just name the emotion. That's all. You just look at it and name it. Because then we get into really, well, the first, then the next step, the fourth question is, we say, um, what, we just review what, we used to say what tapes are running in our heads, but nobody has tape players anymore. So it's what recurring, what are all those thoughts? What are those repetitive thoughts that I keep running? And you just let it all spill out. Every, oh, you just say verbally, what you've been thinking, okay, I'm in a really bad situation. This thing's going to collapse. It's just, I don't see my way out. It's so frustrating. And, and you just run all that stuff, all those thoughts that have been recurring. You let, you just let it all out. You let it all out. And then in a way, it's just like the first question, what's the problem? But here you just, you look at every thought you've had and bring it from any kind of unconsciousness to consciousness and say it. Okay, I'm thinking, I'm even telling myself, someday the bottom will drop out. Whatever you're saying, you just look at and get it out there. Then the fifth question, you say, what's the worst that could happen? And that's where you really get into looking at your fears. The worst that could happen, I could go bankrupt. And then you say, okay, then, What's the worst that could happen? If that happens, what's the worst that could happen? And I remember thinking, well, I could die slowly, <laughs> a drunken bum in the gutter. Wow, that sounds no miserable. 
just, you know, no one would care. They just like step over my body and look at me in disgust as I'm writhing in pain and dying. That that was the worst case scenario. And usually we end up when we really get into the worst case scenario, kind of smiling a bit because we know chances are that our worst fears are not going to happen. Yeah, slightly exaggerated. <laughs> it gets exaggerated. But we realized that they're down there. They were, we were operating out of them in many ways. So then once we look at that, we look at the sixth question, what's the best thing that could happen? What is our ideal scene in this? I, over the years, I've done this hundreds of times with hundreds of people. Shakti Gawain and I used to do it in our workshops all the time. And almost inevitably, people, once you say, what's the worst fear? They immediately get into it. Well, you know, I could go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Then you say, what's the best thing? And people go, um, hmm, let's see. <laughs> and they have to stop and think about it. And we realize we've been dwelling in those fears. All our repetitive thoughts have been fear-based. We, we haven't even been thinking about the best possibility. How to... What is the best case scenario? We, our thoughts haven't even gone there usually. For me immediately as well, I could get a new distributor that paid on time. And it was like, <laughs> wow, well, what a new idea. <laughs> why did it take me six months to come to that conclusion? I, I literally immediately got on the phone, got another distributor, duh. And, and I thought, and I could, let's see, best case scenario, I mean, yeah, we could get paid for our sales again and start making a profit. And we make a profit and I could pay off all my debt. And turns out that's exactly what happened. The best case scenario. So you look at you look at your ideal scene then in the situation. Okay, you got a problem? What's your ideal scene? You put it out there. Okay, this is my ideal. Then you ask the seventh essential question. It's why isn't that happening now? Ooh, Why isn't that. your ideal scene happening now? Whatever reason you come up, well, it's not happening because I'm an idiot with money. I'm out of control. I don't understand it. It's beyond me somehow. Whatever comes up to answer that question, why aren't you living your ideal scene, is your core belief, or I like to say underlying belief. You finally nail what's really been operating underneath there. I realized I had the belief that I was an idiot with money. I didn't understand it. It was, I, I was out of control. Okay, once you nail that belief in as simple language as possible, then you find the exact, the eighth question is, what is the statement that totally counteracts that belief? What is the counter statement? What is the opposite? What affirmation can you put it as an affirmation or counter statement? You can use the word counter statement rather than affirmation, whatever you want to choose there. Find an affirmation or counter statement. In my case, I, okay, my underlying belief was I was a fool with money out of control. That's as simple as I could say. That's why I was broke and 65,000 critical. I was a fool with money out of control. So the statement I came up with is, I am sensible and in control of my finances. I am creating total financial success in an easy and relaxed manner, a healthy and positive way. In its own perfect time for the highest good of all. I added that phrase I'd read about in a book. And I literally, I was driving down the freeway when I did all this. I literally pulled over on the shoulder because I wanted to write it down immediately because I knew I'd forget it. I'd forget those exact words. But I wrote it down. I ended up writing it down five times. I put it in my, right above my phone in my office. I put it in my bathroom mirror. I put it, you know, up. And I so you're priming yourself like everywhere possible. Yep, yep. Hmm. I kept reminding myself. And every time that anxiety would arise again, I had this counter statement. I, oh, no, I am sensible and in control of my finances. I am creating total financial success in an easy and relaxed manner, a healthy and positive way, in its own perfect time for the highest good of all. I kept saying that a few thousand times, Wow, I'm sure, over the next year. And within, 
maybe six months. I don't remember exactly, but the whole company had turned around and we were profitable. I got my first bonus check that just happened to be, it just worked out this way, but it was $65,000. <laughs> no way. Exact amount. <laughs> exact amount. So I, I put that money in the bank and I I worked through all my stack of checks and I paid off everything. And I was back to zero in the <laughs> bank, but I was debt free. And, and that's where it all started. So that, that deep underlying belief process, that's the single best thing I've ever found really to deal with those doubts and fears. You just, you really look at them. You open the door, you look at them. What's the worst that could happen? What am I telling myself? What's going on? And then you start telling yourself exactly the opposite. And where did we get these beliefs? They're just things people told us or we somehow came to believe for some reason, but you, it's people told us, you know, most of us were raised with a horrible set of beliefs or real mixed beliefs. But I mean, I really got, oh, it's really hard to make money. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. You gotta work hard for your money. I got all that stuff. And I chose to change that belief to say, I don't wanna work too. In fact, I like to, in fact, I meditated on the phrase, work smarter not harder i remember reflecting on that a lot thinking what does that really mean work smarter not harder that's that's good advice and what came to mind is well one thing it says is hard work is not the answer contrary to what so many of us have been told hard hard work does not necessarily equal financial success at all it's smart work Okay, what does smart work mean? What does it mean working smarter? Well, what comes to me is, oh, you got to have a plan. Work smart means plan your work. Plan your work and work your plan. Well, I literally sat down and did these one-page plans for every one of my major goals. Just simple, short plans for my subconscious mind to grasp hold of. The shorter and simpler, the better. Work smarter, not harder overcame a huge amount of very limiting underlying beliefs. I absolutely love that. I think it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating a, process yeah, fascinating um, that process. really allows you, really to allows you to drill deeper into what's, deeper actually, into what's stopping actually stopping you. Because I think one of the, the main the challenges that many people have is they're so unwilling to actually look at their fears, right? We always try to hide from them. We try to run away. We try to hide under cover of our blanket and forget about it, right? Drown out the noise with Netflix or whatever it is. Trying to forget about what's actually stopping us rather than actually face that difficulty of what is it actually going to take for me to take my life to the next level? So I absolutely love that process. I'm super curious. Do you feel like... You're actually going sort of the lazy, lazy way in your business. How do you actually be more productive in the moments that matter most? Looking back, it's definitely been the best way over the long run, for sure. For sure. I mean, in the short run, you work hard. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can accomplish more. But over the long run, when, when you look at the years, it's way better. It's way, way more, more efficient and effective in the long run to just work when you feel like it and relax and rejuvenate when you don't. I never have to even take vacations. I mean, I do sometimes, but because uh, my life is a vacation. Because right? <laughs> I, I love it. And I'm only here when I love it. You know, I almost never not going to get sick. I've For over 40 years, I've had a maybe a cold or two or something. It, it, wow. Uh, you know, because I take care of myself every day so in the long run it it's much i think even more efficient and even gets a lot more done it look at the arts we we idolize we we love people who have really achieved mastery and you look at them and the mastery is done with ease real mastery i think of Jimi hendrix playing his guitar for half a million people he's chewing gum and he's He's saying we're just jamming, and he plays with such total ease and mastery, you know, that I think that applies to business and to every other thing. If we work from ease, if we come if, from a state of ease, 
in the long run, that's really mastery. You're talking about mental mastery. A good part of mental mastery to me is coming from a state of ease and lightness, not stress. I think that stress is the main thing that creates so much disease. Dis disease is really stress-induced. It's really cultural. So many of us believe we have to we have to create stressful situations somehow. But stress is all it's an inside job, and so is ease. And we can let that stress go. We don't have to come from stress. I think stress is a I think it's a cause of cancer. I think it's a cause of all kinds of diseases, heart disease, certainly high blood pressure, certainly anything that, that uh, makes you withhold and be tense in your body for any length of time creates disease, I think. So when you are just telling yourself, take it easy, take it easy, which I do all the time. <laughs> it's a wonderful phrase. Take it easy. You really relax your entire body. And you allow your immune system, the, the picture I have of it is you just allow your immune system to flow through every cell of your body all the time when you're relaxed. We know that happens when you're sleeping. Your immune system is like 10 times more effective than when you're awake because it's, you're not resisting it. Well, if you can come from ease during the day, you can stay a lot healthier in the long run. Absolutely love that. And, and in fact, tomorrow I'm, I'm going to be interviewing Anders Ericsson. He's the world's leading psychologist and, and researcher behind what it actually takes to create mastery in peak performances over the long run, right? So what creates those, you know, amazing musicians and artists and athletes? And what do you find? Yes. And this goes very much hand in hand with what you're saying here is, yes, of course, yes. it takes extraordinary amount of work and just hours being put in. But what he also found is that the best of the best also spend more time every day actually recovering. They're taking naps in the middle of the day, right? They're taking time yes. off to mentally and physically recharge before they go into battle again, because that's the only way to optimize their performance in that moment. And that's really what, what you're speaking here to, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. That's a great way to look at it. And that is, it's totally true. It's totally true. So many, uh, you can go that talked about all these super famous people, Winston Churchill, Einstein, and, and they were all talking about naps, the value of naps and relaxing. It's so true. You, you recharge your entire, you, you've got to take plenty of time to recharge. And then we're, re I, I often say to me, I did one book called The Greatest Secret of All. And I ended up saying what to me is the greatest secret is to love and serve yourself and others. And it starts with yourself. The first thing we need to do is really love and serve ourselves. And that means give us plenty of time to relax and rejuvenate. We need that in order to really become fulfilled ourselves. Once we're fulfilled, then we can really love and serve others in a way that makes a difference in a world. Once we take care of ourselves, we can really take care of others. But we need to take care of ourselves first. And one of the best things we can do is learn to relax, to take naps, to rejuvenate, to give us some time off from this, you know, from this eternal, uh, what is it? Oh, Sis like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the thing, you know? Life does not have to be that way. <laughs> I know when I first heard the phrase on the radio, hump day they say it's a wednesday <laughs> oh it's hump day i at first i didn't know what they i thought what are they talking about is this something sexual i missed or something <laughs> then i realized oh no they're talking about our week our week is starts with monday and then tuesday wednesday we're over the we get to the hump, hump. I, thought, I thought oh that's terrible that's like sisyphus like you're just go, going down, 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 and the weekend finally is up again, and then yeah, yeah, right. Then it's downhill. It's it's not a good way to live. Yeah, and oh, you can play during the weekend, and then you're back to the five day grind. To me, that's that's inhumane. Uh, a forty hour week is inhumane to me. I've never even something I love to do. I don't love to do for forty hours a week. Yeah. <laughs>
That is really so interesting to me. And now that we started talking about self-care routines, what are some of your own personal routines to ensure your success, your health, your happiness, and flourishing in life? What are some of the non-negotiables that you have to do every day? Oh, I'm just, I am, I'm lazy. It's always been a goal of mine to be lazy. I never do like any work or anything on Sunday. I might do some family stuff if there's family. Then every Monday is my day. Monday, I do nothing. I have no plans. I don't go to the office. I wake up. I have nothing to do. I usually get a two-hour Thai massage on Monday. Uh, that's, that's usually my one thing. But I don't necessarily do that. But it, So I have the whole day just to myself. And sometimes I remember uh, one Tuesday, I felt really good. And I thought, what did I do yesterday, Monday? And I realized, oh, I had three naps. <laughs> I don't really three I naps in between doing nothing <laughs> yes yes i woke up my naps half the time i sleep uh in my the um the corpse posture they call it in yoga you know i just lay on my back half the time i sleep half the time i just meditate sometimes i run energy sometimes it's just quiet meditation uh sometimes i fall asleep so that with my family, it's even a joke. I say, I'm going to go meditate. And they say, yeah, meditate. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> apparently I sometimes snore while meditating. It happens when you have the corpse posture, yeah? <laughs> yes, yes. So I, lay, I always do corpse posture uh, on Monday several times. And then, and then I do every morning to myself. I never come to the office till one or two. So I've got my mornings to sleep in as late as I want. And... Then I, I do, so by Tuesday afternoon, I, I'm in the mood to come into the office and go through 250 emails and blah, 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 blah. But then I take breaks whenever I feel like, hey, hey, uh, I'll come in here at one or two, and by four or so, I'll feel like a nap. So <laughs> sometimes I'll, I'll work for two hours, and then I'll take half an hour, 45 minutes, flat on my back. Uh, some days I won't. Some days I have lots of energy, and some days I don't. And if I don't have a lot of energy, I just follow my energy. That's the basic thing I do. I take a break whenever I feel like it. So I mean, what was it yesterday? But this is Wednesday now. I no, it was Monday. That's right, Monday. I slept particularly late, like past noon. I rarely do that, and I got up. And uh, I did not have my usual energy. So about by uh, 2.30 or 3, I laid back down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that, that's for that. For another hour or something. So I had a very lazy Monday. Wow, yes, yes. That is, that is so interesting. Yeah. Now, now over, over this last 40 years, right, over, over 40 years now that, that span your, your career, you obviously had lots of incredible highlights, but what, what one thing would you say stands out among everything else? Oh, one th the moment I first got the power of now. Yes. This wonderful woman in Canada named Connie Kehoe had published it. She had never published a book before, but she'd met Eckhart and she published. Eckhart had written this book. She didn't know a thing about publishing, and she did a beautiful hardcover version of it, just beautifully. And then we discovered it through our Canadian distributor. She had no distribution anywhere other than a little distributor in, in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, I, I talked to the distributor first, and uh, then the publisher there, and she sent me a copy. And the moment I never quite had anything like this happen so instantaneous in yeah over 40 years of publishing we might we've probably done close to a thousand titles over the years wow. i think we have 600 in print or something and the minute i got this book the power of now i flipped open to the first page and within 15 seconds i just had goosebumps i knew this was an amazing book that was so unique. That's what I love about it. There's no book like it. After so many years, so many of our books, we even say, oh, this is like generic. This is another book. 
being the same thing as a hundred other books out there, Power of Now is absolutely unique and the most amazing book I ever published or read. Absolutely love that. In what way has it changed your life? What would you say is like the number one or two lessons maybe that you've really incorporated in your life? Uh, that's a good question. It has really lightened my life. I told Eckhart I've been unable to finish the book because I got I kept reading it so slowly. Like a I'd read a paragraph and I'd say I got to think about that, and I'd reflect on it through the day. Then I got to in the hardcover it was page one fifty four. And I got to the sentence, to offer no resistance to life is to be in a state of grace, ease, and lightness. And I said, I've got to reflect on that. And I, I'd go through the day just thinking about it, calling it, oh, to offer no. And I ended up, for 18 months, I was stuck on that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah, it was about 18 months that I, and every day I'd pick up the book, to read and I know I got to reflect on that to offer no resistance to life oh that's the whole thing it isn't the thumb is not there are reserves to it is to be in a state of grace ease and lightness and I even thought oh grace that feels like something that just descends on us ease is just is obviously an inside job it's up to us to create a life of ease we can do it from within by letting go of all this stress ease we create ourselves and then lightness is just such a wonderful state that is our natural state once we're at ease so i really pondered that sentence for a long time and it did lighten up my life lighten up my life then i got to the next page and i'm stuck on the final i'm, I'm stuck on this in my life because eckhart's so far beyond everyone else i know on this planet he says, the happiness that is derived from some secondary source is never very deep. By secondary source, he means anything out there in the world. He says, only a pale reflection of the joy of being, the vibrant peace we find within when we enter a state of no resistance. Okay, that to me, once you really understand that sentence, that's all I need for the rest of my life and <laughs> what I need to die with ease, to live and to die with ease. And to realize, oh, we, we think we need something out there to be happy. We think so often, oh, if I had a little more money or a little, bit, my relationship was better or, or a better job, or we think it's something out there. And Eckhart's saying, no. The happiness that we derive from things out there are never that deep even says there's a much deeper happiness peace to be found within how do we find that we offer no resistance we just accept what is that's to me the great teaching of the power now absolutely love that so powerful and you know i always, yeah, I always love ideas when when like several different people come from or sort of converge from from different aspects different sort of ways they perceive life, right? So the other day I was talking to uh, Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar. He was the most popular Harvard professor of all time, um, teaching a course on positive psychology, the science of happiness, right? And what he said is, is basically the same thing, which is like happiness is the natural human state. So if you look at, you know, a little baby, if they can wiggle with the toes a little bit, like they're happy, right? <laughs> they don't need anything else. And then over time, as we grow up, we're sort of conditioned to always look for the outside success, to always look to the outside to find happiness, to find fulfillment. But what are you saying here, really, and that goes in line with what he said is the natural state is happiness. Once you can let go of the outside world and just focus on the internal, you're going to be yeah. much, much happier. Yes, yes, yes. Because the outside world is going to change all the time, and the inside doesn't at all. So, Paul, now... Do you have a favorite mantra or quote that you live your life by? You've obviously read a lot and a lot of quotes, <laughs> but is there anyone in particular? Let's see. I, I, have, I post around quotes. In my late 20s, early 30s, I found James Allen's book, As You Think, or it was originally called it As a Man Thinketh. And I just, I ended up editing and publishing a version, As You Think. And that was the first book I put big quotes 
up in my wall. And the main one that stuck with me for years is you will become as great as your dominant aspiration. If you cherish a vision, a lofty ideal in your heart, you will realize it. I just love the authority of that statement. And that I had on my wall for years. And then he opens with a poem. And if you, it's like a traditional Buddhist book. If you can understand the short poem, you don't need to read the book because it's all in the poem. And the opening poem of As You Think is, mind is the master power that molds and makes, and we are mine, and evermore we take the tool of thought and shaping what we will bring forth a thousand joys, a thousand ills. We think in secret and to pass, the world is but our looking glass. That's it. It's wow. mental mastery. Wow. Yes, absolutely. Love that. <laughs> yeah. That was my favorite poem for years. And then I found the second poem in that book to be amazingly powerful. After a few years, there's another poem that this woman named Ella Wheeler Wilcox wrote that sums up everything in a way, too. I, I've often thought there could be a complete course in this book. I mean, in this poem a complete, even a book that just has a chapter for every line because the poem is you will be what you will to be. Let failure find its false content in that poor, poor environment but spirit scorns it and is free. What it means is failure, there's a certain false contentment in failure and we're blaming, if we blame the environment or later she uses circumstance to mean the same thing. It's like any excuse we have out there in the world or within us, any excuse we have for not being totally successful and fulfilled and happy, that's, uh, there's a false content from there and we can go beyond it. So the, the whole poem is you will be what you will to be. Let failure find its false content in that poor word environment, but spirit scorns it and is free. It masters time, it conquers space, it cows that boastful trickster chance and bids the tyrant circumstance uncrown and take a service. Right. The human will, that force unseen, the offspring of a deathless soul, can hew its way to any goal, the walls of granite intervene. Be not impatient in delay, but wait as one who understands. When spirit rises and commands, the gods are trying to obey. Wow. That's a, that's a course. And when our spirit rises and dares to dream, and we dare to dream an ideal, when we really dare to say, I'm going to go for this, the gods are ready to obey. The creative forces of the universe rush in to support us in totally mysterious and wonderful ways. Absolutely love that. Now, we talked about a lot of strategies, tools, techniques, ideas today. But if you were to give our listeners just one piece of homework uh, that they should start applying in their lives to really change how to view the world, what would that one thing be? I, I asked them to write down their ideal scene in five years in one page. Imagine five years have passed and everything is gone as well as you can imagine. That's the first thing I did. Then I... I suggest writing a list of goals as affirmations and carrying it around with you or having it on your phone or whatever. That's so, I've done this for 40 years. I update this every six months. Wow. It you, so it gets, it gets pretty funky after a while. But this is my list of goals as affirmations. And that to me, I think this is the single, this and my ideal scene written down are the two most powerful tools I have. Single pieces of paper, each one. The power of the written word. So simplistic and yet so powerful. Yet so Absolutely, powerful. Love that. Absolutely love that. Now, Mark, before no, I ask Mark, my before final I... question, where can listeners connect with you online? What's your favorite platform, social media websites, whatever it is? Oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, they can go to markallen.com, M-A-R-C-A-L-L-E-N.com. Uh, and on Facebook, I have a, a Access with Twins group that's really fun. They can go to Facebook and just search for Mark Allen Success with Ease. Uh, it's a nice free group. Uh, starting in January, I'm going to do a year on the magical path. Uh, that's uh, 
a monthly, uh, we take a whole month for each of the 12 chapters of the magical path. I've done it twice before now. It's been remarkable. But just markallen.com, they can see what I'm up Perfect. I'll, I'll link to that then, yeah. <laughs> now, my final question, what does mental mastery mean to you? I know we touched upon it already a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it was in that poem, you will be what you will to be. It, uh, it, all, it starts in your mind. It's as you think. It, everything, of course, begins in our thought. And once we master the thought, uh, we, we've mastered our lives. All the work is internal. And think, okay, 99% of the important work I've done has been internal. And the external things, you know, like starting the company, it, 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 it's just like minor little things. <laughs> internal work, the mental mastery, that's where the work is. It's all internal. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So to really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, friend, a loved one maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider, you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.